Maybe we'll start this next piece by mentioning that today is the day that uh, the encampments on the downtown east side are, are they just starting to clear them out? Because there's this is a two-stage process, apparently. Is it, So they're doing the low-risk ones first, and then, or are they trying to get everything in one day? Uh, or do you know? I can't imagine they'll get everything today. So it might be yeah. that they're starting with lower risk or the easier stuff as they see it, but it will, I'm sure this will take the remainder of the week. I would imagine. Okay. So this is happening today, right now, as we record the police and social workers, I guess are down there and, uh, city engineers, I believe are involved Mm -hmm. and, uh, they're trying to sort this out. So what we're talking about here is the clearing of the downtown East side street camps. There's other street camps throughout Vancouver and Abbotsford, of course. Uh, but this is, I believe this one has the most people who are, you know, most of the people who are living in tents in the greater Vancouver area are in the downtown east side. Yeah. That was the uh, st- the last stats that I saw anyway. So this is an article talking about, uh, I-, I guess, a leaked document uh, that outlines the city's plans for moving faster than they were letting on uh, to get rid of these uh, camps mm-hmm. or or deal with these camps. So mm-hmm. the city of Vancouver has drawn up plans to speed up the removal of the makeshift structures and tents of people living along East Side Street or East Hastings Street, hinting force could be used if necessary. Fire chief calls for changes after propane tanks explode in tent fire I know there's been numerous fires down there, and that's uh, that's definitely a concern. This document that that was apparently made public on Monday, I guess, by Stop the Sweeps, which is a coalition of adv- advocacy groups working on the downtown east side. Community advocates and business leaders are calling the city's approach into question, asking why the city would go ahead with removal when 330 new homes planned for the neighborhood won't be ready until summer. This document signals the end of Vancouver's so-called compassionate approach to encampments. Jess Gutt, an organizer with Stop the Sweeps, said in a statement, the city and the province have failed to create enough dignified housing. They're now choosing to use blunt force to make people disappear from the street. So let's let's stop there and digest a little bit. Mm-hmm. So from what I've been able to read and uh, find online, it looks like there's about 2,000 people in the, the greater Vancouver area who would be classified as living on the street or living in a tent in, uh, that would be in this area of concern here. That's, uh, they do, a, I know they do a count of, I think it's a once a year count they do of people without homes. Uh, and they figured last year there was, uh, it was a really conservative count. So what I'm going to say is that in the, the greater Vancouver area, there might be somewhere between 2000 and let's say uh, a ridiculously high number, but possible of 5,000 people who have nowhere to stay. Mm-hmm. We'll just, we'll use uh, that kind of bracket of numbers. So that's a fairly large group of people, even at the low end. Mm -hmm. I see that they've, uh, they've got a bunch of different programs in place here to try to 
I guess, get people into some kind of shelter or housing. But in this article, they talk about the, uh, they're talking about some of the, pl- the places being rat infested, bug infested, unsafe and unlivable. So my question is, what do, what is the reality of that? Like, is there uh, places that are available right now? You'd think there have to be somewhere, right? In Vancouver, where you could, where you could stay and how, how much worse is it than living on the street? Like when mm-hmm. I think of living in a tent on the, on the downtown east side, I don't find that to be like, I'm, I'm trying to understand why that would be desirable at all. Yeah. Uh, what are your thoughts there? Now I, I, what I come up with is there's, there's a sense of community down there. It's a generational community. There's people that have been born in that area. They've grown up, had children in that area and the roots are actually quite deep in the, the downtown east side. So mm-hmm. there is a community there that would be uh, one benefit to staying in that area. And the other would be a drug supply if you are uh, if you've got an addiction. And I, I would imagine that probably, I mean, the numbers are between 30 and 60 percent of people are addicted to, to some kind of substance. I don't know how that pans out realistically or how they even get those numbers. Mm-hmm. But we, we would I think we can it's safe to assume that some drugs are involved in the situation. Sure. I would it would be my guess or estimation, and I could be wrong, that mental health has more to do with this than anything else combined with what we're seeing uh, just generally in our society and culture, which is a further divide between the haves and have nots. So continued financial pressure, continual revolving door, uh, never preventative, always reactive mental health, health care system. And the current ongoing toxic drug crisis are all contributing to a situation that is very complex. Mm-hmm. So you've got these people living down there. Now, my question is, if you went and like, I want to, uh, when I come down, I'm going to come down there and, and visit with you uh, in the lower mainland. And I'd like to go talk to some people down there about what, what their ideal solution would be. Mm-hmm. Where, you know what, and this is it's. I think it's important to understand too that not everybody is going to be able to answer that question, because some of the people in those, if you're living in a tent in the downtown east side, you could have uh, uh, mental health issues that make it impossible for you to uh, even cognitively function in a normal enough way to to answer a question that requires that kind of executive function. Mm-hmm. So. That's another layer to the problem. However, there must be some people, some advocates or people who are speaking for the general population down there who have some idea of of how they want things to proceed and where they uh, see things going. What are your thoughts on that? I think uh, just going back a, a moment, I think, you know, the alternative to the encampments unless someone comes up with a, a more creative viable option in that neighborhood, it's single room occupancy hotels, many of which are still owned by slumlords, many of which are, are um, not perceived as safe, not perceived as, as particularly livable. And I think if you are someone who's using 
opioids, it probably is less safe. Your risk of, of death is probably higher if you're living in a single room occupancy hotel uh, where there are less eyes on you or where your friends are, are that much further out of reach, even if it's not that far. What about smoking? I know now, mm. like you're, if in the hospital, uh, you're, you can smoke, you can smoke fentanyl, you can smoke meth. Um, so I'm assuming that when they're offering these other places to live, like if you, if you're going to offer somebody a, a sleazy hotel or a sleazy hotel room or whatever that may or may not be structurally, I mean, I don't know if, if the concern is that it's like a, a borderline condemned building that might collapse on you, or is it, are people maybe concerned that the building will catch on fire and everyone will die because people are smoking and you know, that's a possibility. I think that is probably a concern. Um, there, there, it's probably very personal for each individual, I think, but, right. but there, there, uh, the lack of creative alternatives put forth by the, by the city, by BC housing, by the people who could actually directly impact it right now. It's, it's a, it's not there. And then this decision to move forward seemingly in, in haste uh, of, we got to clean this up now because there's been a, I, I don't know if they're using in that article, it, it reads that they're using the, you know, the exploding propane tanks as their justification. Okay. Um, well, I'll, I'll read on here and see what they say. Do. At a news conference uh, this morning, Vancouver Mayor Ken Sim was asked whether the direction laid out in in the document came from the mayor's office, city council, or elsewhere, and whether council has been briefed on the plans. Sim refused to answer the question, saying instead that large entrenched encampments aren't an acceptable model going forward. What he sees on the streets now is an increased level of violence. The area has become a lot less safe, he said. When asked again to answer whether council... Council had been briefed. Sim replied, we get briefed on a lot of things. At the end of the day, these recommendations, like other recommendations, they're pretty much, they pretty much come from the city staff and then we get to talk about them. <sighs> many residents say they feel safer and more comfortable on the street than in, than in many of the neighborhood's SROs and shelters. Do you know what an SRO is? Yeah, single room occupancy okay. hotel. Yeah which have been called unsanitary and unsafe. People don't turn down livable housing, Kayleigh Lorraine, a downtown Eastside resident said at a news conference Monday. They're turned down, they're turning down rat infested, bug infested, unsafe, unlivable housing. So these SROs or single room occupancies must be pretty bad if that's the case. And that's something that I would, uh, I'd like to ask Garth about that because he would, uh, you probably know what those people are are facing. I was in. I had the opportunity to do a ride along with BC Ambulance in 2015, and the the state of the SROs was pretty shocking then. Very shocking. Okay. So, given given the choice of living on the street or living in uh, uh, one of these SROs, what would you do? Oh man, I think if, if I was in a position where I had encountered violence, where I had encountered threats to my safety, where maybe I was, you know, my friends had died within, within the confines of an SRO or rats and bugs or whatever other sort of f factors weighed in, I'm, I, I might make that decision. 
I don't the, know the decision to, to live on the street instead. I, I might, I hmm. might. Yeah. It's, it's hard to wrap my mind around. I mean, you would think, I guess, what is it about 80% uh, of the people living down there are men. Mm-hmm. So if you think of the, about this uh, from a, a safety point of view, I mean, maybe it is, maybe it is safer to be, kind of in the crowd like and and tents are not really like it but then again i don't know how private these sros are as well i mean do they even have doors do the doors work can you lock them you know mm-hmm. and then it's uh you know trying to think of it if you're a woman um and you're in a situation like this what kind of you know what level of security do you have mm-hmm. uh is it easier to access help from the street than it is from, although I guess most people living down there don't want that kind of help anyway. So yeah, it's, I, I gotta tell you, I mean, this is a, this is a hard one for me to understand. It's hard for me to wrap my mind around, especially without seeing it. I mean, I can certainly understand, uh, well, I'll, I'll continue this, uh, I'll continue to read it. Can I say one thing here before we go, go on? Yeah, absolutely. I've got, um, I mean, I've got big opinions about about Ken Sims in Vancouver. He, he has a nursing background, first of all, which is just kind of an interesting frame of reference to become the mayor of a of a city with such public health issues, mm-hmm. such public health and and um, a so called as we've just talked about a so called public health emergency. And I think he I mean, his his mo is to to quote clean up that city and to by any means necessary and the voters that voted him in voted him in under the promise of bringing in a hundred new police officers of bringing in mental health nurses and staff to work with the police and that was his mandate was to clean up that city and so for him to say well we're briefed on a lot of things what a cheeky answer what a kind of a a slough off answer i think um because i think he i think he does know because i think that was his that is his mandate is to clean it up and okay. and by force, as as they say, by force or or any means necessary, as Malcolm X said. Hmm. Okay. We'll Go on. on. <laughs> <laughs> These encampments are dangerous for those living in them. Those of us who live near them in private housing, and even for those trying to help. As a resident of the downtown east side, who has a justifiable justifiable expectation that I can live in a safe city and that I'll be able to use public spaces and my taxes uh, that my taxes pay for like parks and sidewalks. I'm very happy to hear that the city is finally listening to those who would endlessly destroy every last safe and decent thing uh, that I enjoy in the city. Sidewalks aren't homes. Parks aren't homes. Sidewalks and parks are there for all of us to enjoy. I'll be happy to stop living in fear in my own neighborhood. So there must be many people who feel this way. Sure. Uh, and uh, I mean, I haven't been uh, to any of the pharmacies on the downtown east side in uh, probably nearly a decade. So I don't know what it's like down there. Um, as far as business is concerned, I can't imagine that there's any businesses that are doing well that aren't somehow linked to uh, this issue. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, would that be fair to say? I know there's a, there's, when I was last there, there was a fairly distinct line of gentrification. 
Yeah, exactly, Nathan. And and that line has certainly um, spread dramatically in the last, if, if it's been 10 years for you, um, it has encroached further and further into the downtown east side, for sure. Okay. So there would be more gentrification taking place. Therefore, yeah. uh, you would expect to see less services and um, these, uh, wherever they were maybe getting support from before has been diminished somewhat. I suppose that could be, uh, that could be part of it. I, I have trouble looking at this issue and, you know, I, I, I think somewhere in the middle, there's a, a compassionate stance. I don't understand why, why the city would even let uh, a tent city get to this point. Like it, if we're having such a problem with people finding places to live, then you'd think that that would be an issue that would be addressed much earlier on. And from what I've looked into, as far as stats are concerned in other cities, especially in the States, the, the cities that have handled this problem by providing services through, you know, it's, it takes money to, to fix this problem, but mm -hmm. the money the preventative money that you spend, you make back in spades later on. Mm -hmm. uh, the, I looked into a few different studies on what it costs in BC to have a, uh, a person living on the street. And it can be, I saw some crazy high numbers uh, that include the average number of ambulance trips, hospital stays, mental health services, social uh, social worker visits all the way up to north of 150,000 a year per person. And mm -hmm. then I saw some studies that looked a little more reasonable where it cost roughly 55,000 Canadian to have somebody living on the streets where with an efficient, well put together, um, you know, this is something that would take time, but if you structured something that was, designed to house people in a dignified way with the supports that they need. Uh, it can be done for less than that or very close to the same amount of money. I've seen figures as low as 35,000 and as high as 50, around 55,000. So financially, it looks like it's kind of a wash or in some, in some cases, even cheaper to offer these people a place to live. However, having worked very close to that area before and talked with people who spent the majority on the, I, I remember talking to one gentleman who, who was in a scooter and he would park his scooter out, for, uh, out in front of my uh, pharmacy and he would panhandle, but he didn't, you know, he's a very large gentleman, didn't look like he was, you know, he's fairly well dressed and I couldn't figure out what was going on with the guy. So I started talking to him. I said, what's, you know, what do you, what's going on with you? I see you out here every day. Like, where do you, where do you go at night? And he says, Oh, I go back to my condo. Is it your condo? And he said, yeah, the city uh, put me in a, a condo, but I don't, mm -hmm. I like, I like it out here better. Mm -hmm. So he would rather spend his whole day out there panhandling than spend any time other than sleeping in his condo. So mm -hmm. my question would be, I guess, you, and like you said before, there's going to be a, like a smattering of different uh, kind of opinions of what the best case scenario is, but Maybe some of the people living in this area are just, maybe they're just anarchists, you know, and 
And, and what that means is that they're basically, uh, they don't want any kind of government at all, which I can, <laughs> believe me, I can understand. Sure. Um, and if that's the case, then maybe even uh, like trying to fit them into the model that everyone else is living is not going to work. And if that, you know, then like you said before, where no creative options have been put forth, like I think that I think you're right about that. And I think that these people who are in these circumstances really need to be as thoroughly as possible. They need to be there needs to be a discussion about what they want to see. What, what, how would you like to live? And if it, and if the answer is that I, I don't want the government or I don't want the police, I don't want these things involved in my life, then I think maybe that's reasonable, but it's not reasonable to do where they're doing it. So mm -hmm. then what you could do is set up like a, almost like a red light district where you would have a, a section of, you know, whether it's the downtown east side or what's left of it, where basically there's an agreement between the people who live there and the police and the, uh, and the services that we normally would, would send in that due to the way people are choosing to live their life there, which is uh, different than the rest of the population, we're going to make that a, not a lawless area, but we're going to adapt the laws to that area. So mm -hmm. police are not going to be involved in any kind of drug transactions there at all. Yeah. There's the, I don't care if you're, you've got 10 pounds of crack cocaine on the street in a wheelbarrow. Nobody's bothering you. Same with prostitution. Uh, in fact, you could have it set up so that there's uh, it, it very much like the red, uh, uh, the red light district in Amsterdam, where they have access to safe places to practice and uh, there's, you know, monthly or I think they do weekly health checks. They can, you know, they have emergency services if they need them. These things could be set up in such a way that maybe caters more to what those people are capable of doing. Like there's, there's a level of capability there. And then there's a level of probably um, maybe just political tilt that is mm -hmm. not compatible with normal society which I think is very understandable considering normal society, but the way it's, the way it's set up now, I mean, you, you can't, you know, you like, I, I agree with you that they're using these, uh, these fires and stuff as a, you know, safety is that everything is in the name of safety these days, yeah, right? Of they course. use that for every goddamn, we got to make it safe, safe, safe. Like, <clears throat> We're the most terrified uh, species on the planet. All of a sudden, everyone's afraid of everything. But um, I I agree that like you can't have people just living in those conditions. So um, if it is the case that they have some kind of housing that is agreeable to the people living there and it's not ready yet, well, then again, this is I would say that's on the that's on the mayor or that's on whoever let this get to this point has been sitting on their thumb for too long. Yeah. You, you know, mean, Nathan, I, that's I, what came to mind for me as we were talking about this was going, just going back to our last episode with Dr. Michaud about, about codependency and like the question of how is this relationship working for you? And I would love to ask that to civic or municipal governments. Like, 
how has this relationship or lack of a relationship or just a r- arrangement quote unquote with with the homeless populations how has this worked for you i, I think about abbotsford because that's my hometown and and there's a large in- encampment there that is very close to the downtown business district so to speak but it's removed by about uh, maybe 300 meters maybe a little bit more and um and it's quite densely populated and it's right down by the train tracks and it's in sort of a partially wooded area and i've developed the impression that it kind of works for the city that the city is has a level of just feeling kind of satisfied like okay well they're kind of tucked back We've they've evicted them many many times before. They got into as we talked about with Ward Draper. They got into trouble for putting chicken manure on the encampment at one point. So now they just have have this approach of like we're going to bring in trucks um, once a, a week or, or so and help clean up the area so that there's at least not a accumulation of of garbage and refuse. But otherwise, we're going to kind of keep our hands off, and this kind of works. Mm-hmm. And I think. In, in a place like Abbotsford, there's been a little bit of a distance there, uh, less incidents of, of, you know, random, random acts of violence. It has kind of worked. And I think in Vancouver for a long time, it also kind of worked, but the connection with gentrification, I don't think is, is a coincidence that as, as new condos and, and gentrified living spaces for that, you know, that a lot generate a lot of income for for land owners, as those have encroached on the downtown east side, I don't think that's a coincidence. And I think it's suddenly in Vancouver, they're saying, this doesn't work for us anymore, or we want out of this arrangement. And so like a, a parent who's sort of fed up, they are acting that out in a way that's, they're acting it out like a parent who's lost their temper. Right. Or kind of blown their stack and that, you know, that's enough. Mm-hmm. <laughs> We've had enough. And, and we're going to come in there and, and clean out your room kind of a thing. And it, um, it doesn't look patient. It doesn't look empathetic or compassionate, but they, it worked for them for a long time, I think. Yeah. And I don't hear, I don't hear anyone from the city of Vancouver saying that like the, this once worked for us and now it doesn't anymore. That was the question that I, uh, I wrote next to this next section here and the city, this is the, the part that, uh, documents what they're going to propose now, which is the city document proposes a two-stage plan with engineering workers and the Vancouver police starting with lower risk sites along Hastings, east of Main Street and west of Carroll Street. A key part of the plan is that city crews with police support would no longer disengage when tensions rise or protesters, advocates become too disruptive, according to bulletin points in the document. For stage one, it did not lay out specific timelines. For stage two, it would be a VPD-led operation in which all residents and structures in high-risk zones identified as areas with residents who are combative or aggressive or structures that have been repeatedly removed would be targeted for removal. So like you said before, they're going to start with the less combative people and then kind of uh, work their way towards the more violent centers, I guess. It would involve a significantly larger number of staff and police and sections of the block would be closed to the public, which is interesting. So they're expecting Mm -hmm. uh, basically like a a battle, right? Mm -hmm. 
Residents in the encampment area would be given a notice of non-compliance and given seven days to leave. So I think that like this part is good. Uh, the actions, like I could see what they're trying to do. And I agree with the, the giving them a chance to get out of there. Uh, city homelessness services would reach out to residents and encourage them to accept shelter offers and or any housing that may be available, uh, which would be reasonable, except like you said, the, the kind of switch up is probably what's going to cause the biggest problem here from where we've been allowing this, we've been allowing this. And now all of a sudden we're, we're coming in and it's business time where we're going to get rid of everything. Yeah. So, um, I think today we will, even with, uh, if they start the, on the areas that they think are going to be less combative, I, I think it's going to be, uh, we might see some, uh, will certainly be some violent encounters. Um, I, I think I, I have to say, I, I'm suspicious of the, the blockades being set up around the perimeter to me. Well, I, I, I don't think they, I don't think they want this filmed. I don't think they want individuals with camera phones it's gonna get filmed for sure um, yeah. there'll be drones in there i guarantee it but i think there it's more of a i believe they're afraid of a backlash public backlash to yeah. the point where vancouver is a weird city you know it's a no fun sleeper kind of strange just mix of people until you get them excited about something like uh, hockey comes to mind, but, <laughs> um, and then they're capable of acting yeah, like animals, just violent. I mean, the, the way things can turn in that city, it's, uh, it's shocking. Mm -hmm. So I, I would say they're probably worried about getting flanked by, uh, uh, citizens who are Protesting. anticipating this and yeah, and yeah, coming in and, uh, maybe seeing something like uh, what they saw with Antifa in the States, right? Yeah. So, yeah, and uh, of course, it's not going to be great for them to have, uh, like, this is going to be a PR situation that can be used politically. That stuff to me is all nonsense. I know the majority of people in Vancouver want these people removed. I, I think if you if you asked and, and did a Democratic poll, they most people would be comfortable with this. So I... I think that they're not they're not concerned as much with how it's I mean the guy got in like you said on the on the premise of taking care of this problem now he's going to do it right and yeah. also reading the comments uh I mean there doesn't seem to be any concern there it's basically uh, us them thinking right like mm -hmm. people aren't human really just uh, get rid of them that's kind of the thought process so Following two, following stage two, roving teams of city engineering and VPD staff would be deployed to enforce the decampment and remove structures both inside the Hastings encampment and around the city as needed. They would initially operate daily and could operate for seven several weeks or longer, according to the document. So, this will be a, a zero tolerance approach. Like uh, we're taking it down, and if you put mm -hmm. it back up, we're going to be standing there taking it down again. And you're I don't know what that's another thing that I would be interested in in uh, knowing is what are the repercussions for somebody who, you know, uh, say a mental health patient who's been caught in the, you know, in the hospital, out of the hospital, in the hospital, now is living in a tent, the police come, 
this guy thinks it's, uh, you know, who knows what kind of uh, event this uh, person is perceiving uh, mm-hmm. and reacts accordingly to what their, you know, what their perception of the world is, you know, what is, and then what is the punishment for this individual? I think we used to put those type of people in institutions, correct? Correct. So, correct. So yep. what's, what's the plan here? Because this is more of a move that you would make to kind of round people up and take them to a facility, you know, and the facility in the past has been either jail and we don't do institutions in the way that we used to anyway, we sort of, we do still sort of, but. Or have they even thought of those things? Like are the, are those, presumably those are the discussions that are happening, but, or is this kind of short-sighted? It's, it feels short-sighted to me. It feels short-sighted. Well, I, I, th- it's reactive. I mean, yeah. Yeah. it's, uh, it's, it's due to probably, I mean, not just the fact that the, that the mayor ran on the promise of doing this, but also I know that there's people who have money down there and are interested in having this problem taken care of. And, so the, there's probably significant financial incentives or pressure with, you know, support mm-hmm. uh, for the mayor and uh, his constituents based on having this problem solved. So I think it's, we're going to do it. That's what's happening. Now, figure out the details one way or the other. I, I, I mean, they must know that there's going to be you know, this is not an easy problem to solve. It's happening all over the place. Uh, It's been uh, handled better in some areas of the, of of the U S and, and worse in some areas for sure, but it's not an easy thing to to fix. So um, we'll see. I mean, maybe Mm -hmm. they, maybe they have uh, a structured plan where every type of individual, okay, you know, here's a person who's not, doesn't seem to be in touch with reality. This person goes to the hospital for a mental health assessment and then, you know, follows a a stream that way, or, you know, maybe they've got it planned out. I don't know. Both the federal housing commissioner and the United Nations special rapporteur on the right to adequate housing have called for an end to the use of police as a response to encampments in a perfect world. Sure. In a world where prevention is, you know, the mainstay of our politicians' activities, where they're they're looking at things and preventing them before they get out of hand, sure. But that doesn't seem to be anywhere near the way we handle things in this country, and it's not certainly not how we handle it in BC. We wait until it's a huge problem, and then we throw a reactive whatever at it, right? So. Who else are you going to send in here? I don't know, but I wish it was somebody else. Yeah. You know, again, the context in Vancouver is so unique in that the mayor of Vancouver was voted in on the promise of cleaning up the city. He was voted in on the promise of a hundred new cops. He had the, uh, the unusual support of the police union saying that we will back him. And so there, there's, vested interest both ways here. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they, the police are acting out a political will. It feels like to me. Maybe what we're seeing here is uh, one of the beginnings of the pendulum swing that's coming. Oh yeah. 
in, yeah, and you know, I think I think that the this is the 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 merging of the war on drugs and a war on poverty that is happening too. Like I think that th- those lines are are blurred in this instance. I don't think it is about drugs. You know, oh, I think it, no, the, it's a, I think drugs the, have you know, little the, to do with it. The the overdose deaths have nothing to little or nothing to do with this. It's it's about poverty and it's about a city that is just so dysfunctional in terms of that kind of that cohabitation. Yeah, uh, one of the most expensive cities in the world to live. Yeah. Uh, so staff, uh, it goes on. Staff developing the plan would ensure that people forced out of the encampment who had nowhere to go would be connected to outreach with a means for further follow-up, according to the document. Anticipate sufficient shelter beds will be available, reads a bulletin point. Hope to have VCH on standby for mental health supports in discussions. I mean, these are, we're familiar with these types of uh, documents and bullet points. And Mm -hmm. what this means is uh, this is writing on a paper that is not connected to reality. Right. Like you can say that all you want. Uh, we know that the there's a shortage of, uh, the, you know, there's a shortage of resources in both of these areas, a big shortage. So, okay. Yeah, like Vancouver Coastal Health, VCH, they're full. Mm-hmm. These yeah. facilities are full. So where, <laughs> what imaginary beds are we talking about here? Yeah. That's like, uh, you call in the army, uh, put unit five on standby, get them ready to deploy. Uh, sir, Unit Five uh, it doesn't exist. It's uh, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I don't care. Do it anyway. Okay. Yeah, that's that's what it sounds like. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Taylor Varel, Director of Communications for the Mayor's Office, said he had not seen the document and could not comment on it. He reiterated, uh, blah blah blah. Basically, said the same thing as the mayor. And uh, ended a statement with, "This work is critical to addressing continual life." safety risk on East Hastings. So there's a little bit more here and it goes on to talk about a gentleman named Wally Wargolet. It's quite the handle. Executive director of the Gastown Business Improvement Society said that while he and other business association members have been meeting with senior city staff since July, their concerns have not changed. Uh, so this is what I'm you know, talking about these there's going to be special interest groups that are economically pressuring them. Uh, we are worried that it that there is not adequate housing to actually put people in. Then there will just be a disbursement of the encampment. And what are your thoughts on that? That's a pretty legitimate concern, right? Because, mm-hmm. it, okay, you're going to disperse this thing. You're going to clean it all up. If you're not dealing with the people in some way, then they just kind of, uh, it's like, you know, you knock down a hornet's nest and the hornets all fly around. You take the hornet's nest away. They come back for quite a while trying to figure out what happened to their nest. And sometimes they'll start to rebuild, right? And they're anticipating this happening. So is this now going to be a continual battle with the police where it's a game of we put up a tent, you take it down for the summer? Is that possibly it, pro- it, it probably will be i i would anticipate that there will be new encampments that are set up elsewhere yeah. i would because i think that's what historically is what happens 
uh, that's what happened in in Oppenheimer Oppenheimer Park in Vancouver. Right. That's certainly what has happened in Abbotsford, where you know an encampment gets taken down, and then like a hundred meters down the the street, a new one comes up. Um, yeah, and Burnaby has a significant one as well. I think that is it's not very close, but it's the closest big one. So mm-hmm. maybe you would see. Uh, I, I mean, I don't know how that would work. Like, uh, I that's why I would like to talk to somebody down there to get a feel for how, t- you know, how deep do those roots go in that area? Like, how hard are those people willing to fight for what remains of that area as a, as you know, whatever it is? Yeah, and you know, the, like the the notion that they will, the police will move in again with force in some instances and and tell people to take down their camps take down their tents and move along and then you know by the way there are services that we can offer you but you're going to be waiting or they're full or you're in a queue Uh, these are all recipes for frustration and for disillusionment and violence and 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 i think kind of like a self-fulfilling prophecy that's been been set up here because then there will be acts of violence and and people who are extremely upset to have to move along and they will say, see they're you know, they took a swing at a cop or something like that. You know, it's a win-win. Yeah. yeah. Or God forbid a, a police officer gets killed or something. Right. Yeah. yeah. And then uh, it's, it's basically from that moment on, it's a no mercy, zero compassion approach. Yeah. It's just so dysfunctional right now. And this story is, is dysfunctional and we'll, we'll, I mean, we're talking to Garth next week, so we'll have, the opportunity to, to follow up and, and see what happens. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'll just read uh, the last bit of this quickly here and uh, mm-hmm. we'll wrap this segment up. So the number of people living in tents or other structures along East Hastings reached a peak last summer when Vancouver uh, fire chief, Karen Fry issued an order to remove the roughly 150 tents or other structures that line the street due to fire risks. Uh, they go on to talk about how um, there's been a record number of fires in the encampments, as well as a single resident occupancy or single room occupancy units. A lot of concern. Uh, there was a couple of people killed in the uh, Winters Hotel fire. It was a, a part of that, I guess. All and uh, land with all we've been asking for is somewhere to go. Instead, they want us to disappear. But uh, that's why they're bringing the police an activist and resident of the tent city said in a statement about the proposed plan, they need to work with us. Bringing in more police will just create more trauma. I totally see the point of this activist statement. Uh, and I, I beg the question, they need to work with us. What does that mean? You know, is this a group that can be uh, worked with or is it a fragmented, ungovernable mass of people that just don't, uh, for whatever reason, fit into our ideal society's boundaries. Well, yeah, and I mean, clearly, in in a city like Vancouver, it it's they don't. I mean, mm-hmm. I think we're seeing that that there's a a growing intolerance and a growing disconnect there. Despite you know, um, all we know now in in 2023, despite the the toxic drug crisis and the deaths, we we've learned that the that that doesn't matter, that that no. doesn't sway opinion. And there's lots of different examples where you could say, no, that hasn't swayed the opinion. That hasn't swayed the opinion. So no, it, all that, all that works 
it, it, it appears to me that the only thing that people uh, are influenced by on mass is fear. Yeah. If you throw fear at them, you can get their attention. Mm -hmm. Compassion doesn't do, and this isn't, uh, uh, I'm not being a uh, complete nihilist or uh, <laughs> pessimist about human behavior here. What I'm saying is there, there are, there are more people among us who are governed by fear than there are champions who are governed by charity and concern for one another, like yeah. uh, Pastor Ward Draper. Yeah. That's a shining uh, beacon of what a human can be, mm -hmm. right? And I know you're not perfect, Ward, but you are rare. That's what I'm seeing. I, I you know, I... I see most people uh, just easily being swayed or pushed uh, or coerced. And all you have to do is throw a little fear, you know, Yeah. safety concern. It's a this, it's a that, it's, oh my God, your kids. It's a, you know, and it doesn't matter whether it's rooted in reality, it doesn't matter. It's just people don't have the time, the wherewithal, they don't have the, you know, they're too busy living their lives, whatever it is. I mm -hmm. know it's hard. It, it is hard being compassionate for other people. I struggle with it too. Yeah, I really do. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. Who knows what life could throw at you? You could be homeless. You could be the next person who uh, doesn't have anywhere to live. Who knows what the next 10 years will bring, right? Mm -hmm. Maybe the people who are making 50000 and uh, dual income and uh, have an apartment will be the next ones on the street. Yeah, exactly. And uh, then your empathy will maybe change a little bit. Absolutely. You know, they're my uh, my mom uses the expression a lot there but for the grace of god go i and whether it's god or the creator or whatever you know the universe it's it could it could happen to any one of us exactly yeah yeah okay Corey. well we'll leave it there i'm looking forward to talking to garth again that's going to be Likewise. fantastic very yep. pleased that he's uh willing to come in and chat with us i know he's a very busy guy yeah so uh his perspective is uh is always interesting. And like I said, having somebody who's right in the mix of it and has been for a while is very valuable information. So yeah, lots of questions for him and uh, we'll leave it there for now and uh, look forward to that. Yeah, likewise. And I'm sure there's another new segment um, or two that we will have coming up here. So yeah. yeah. All right, buddy. Okay. Thanks, Nathan. See you all soon. <laughs>